Welcome to Badgedamia, a podcast so educational two professors could be hosting it. Hi, I'm Dr. Danielle Dickenview, and joining me is Dr. Bill Pennyman. Welcome everybody to Badgedamia. We have our final episode, our final week um, before we go into hibernation. And today uh, I got to totally bully uh, D3 around and bring two of my students in. So I am really excited. These are current students. They're two of my best students. They're two of my favorite students. So we have um, Emily Schatzko, who is a senior from Minnesota, who is studying family services, mental health, and conflict resolution. Um, And then we also have Johnny Hill, who is a senior from Denver, Iowa. She's majoring in family services, minoring in mental health. She plays soccer for you and I. So, uh, and if you don't see Johnny on the screen, if you're watching this on YouTube, she is uh, saving up her bandwidth for all of her uh, hot takes. So she has her camera off. Um, You guys don't realize it, but in Iowa, we have like 1G connections here. So we just learned Michael Jackson passed away a couple of years ago. Very tragic here. (laughs) But I mean, it doesn't Cedar Falls though, like have the yeah. second fastest internet like in the world. Yeah, we actually have really good internet um, here. So I don't, yeah, I probably I shouldn't be ragging on us. So Johnny, what do you want to tell us about yourself? Um, I mean, I don't know. There's not much to like really say about me, honestly. I think I'm just a pretty chill person. Um, I feel like I don't do anything wild. I don't know. But I will say that I am going back for um, another semester because COVID, the NCAA offered um, fall sports another year of eligibility, eligibility due to COVID. So I will be coming back in the fall for one more semester. So I'll graduate in the fall. But yeah, that's, that's super cool. exciting. I'm way excited. Yeah. You also like Netflix and Hulu? Yep. I just finished this show called Behind Her Eyes on Netflix. Okay. And it's super, super good. It's kind of got like that supernatural Ooh. type of, I don't know, theme. But are it's there, really, really interesting. Are there mermaids or vampires? Because that's usually what gets Danielle and I in. <laughs> There's none of those, but oh. it's a lot of like, ah, uh, this girl, this girl kind of does have like a superpower where she can like see things like, out like like in the future and like she knows who people hang out with without actually being there it's it's interesting it's really interesting i don't want to spoil it so emily if you ever have time go ahead and watch it's actually good i will emily what about you what should we know about you um a fun fact about me is that i cry over dogs videos and cat videos all the time um, whenever I need a good cry, I go on Pet Finder mm. and I just look at them, and that's enough to get me to get me going. Just wait till you have expendable income and you go from crying to adopting, and that's how we have five pets. Um, so yeah, I've been trying to um, sneak around my landlord and adopt one, but I'm not trying to get kicked out right now. Phew. So. We're, we're, we'll get there. I will get there. I'm going to be a cat lady for sure. <laughs> Love it. Okay. So we start every uh, episode with a question for our guests. So what character from film or literature would you be unwilling to have at your fantasy Disney fantasy dinner party? So, <laughs> you know, there's like, everyone's always like, what three people would you have at your dinner party? I want to know who you're like hard pass on this person 
from literature or TV? Mm-hmm. Mine is um, Will Schuster from Glee. Ooh, okay. I'm not getting that bit anywhere Miss, in my Mr. Shoe? Yeah. Wow. I did Creepy, not expect that one. Weird. No, yeah. He's <laughs> not coming anywhere near me. No, ma'am. <laughs> Johnny, what about you? Um, that's honestly like a hard question. I would say like, I watched this movie the other night, like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like the guy, I don't know, any like serial killer, anything like that. That's a no go for me. That's a, that's, I don't know. That's That's not really a hot take, but I appreciate it. Like I just no serial killers. Okay. Wasn't it Ed Gein? Was that the (laughs) Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Ooh. I think it was. I don't know. But that just like that question kind of reminded me because I watched that the other day and I was like, man, I wouldn't want him or any sort of like killer or serial killer at a dinner party of mine. So that's what I would say. If you invited Hannibal Lecter, would you give him a spoon? I would not. No, 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 no. <laughs> nope, none of that. I think that's a wise decision. Yeah. To, you know, no, to be anti-serial killer. I struggled with this question because all the characters that I hate, I consider inviting to my party because it could be interesting. So yeah. it's like trying to think of like, you know, people from The Bachelor that I wouldn't want on, you know, I was like, oh, Bennett, no, you know, or Victoria. And then I was like, no, they would be like, something would go down and it might be a terrible party, but it would be a memorable one. Mm-hmm. So who'd you say? I don't have one. I can't think of anything. You can't just opt out. That's not not the way the question works, Danielle. (laughs) I I'm sorry. I was busy thinking about racism. (laughs) (laughs) So like, no, I mean, I just, I, I was like struggling with this though. Cause I was like, Oh, you know, like I was like thinking about the shows that I watched and I was like, Oh, you know, what's a, you know, face from the office would be awful and then I was like oh but like awful but memorable (laughs) I would not have Johnny California from the office he annoyed me I was not a fan James Spader played him just I don't remember that character yeah he was he was like the boss for a few few like one season okay yeah he was horrible all right so episode in one word what word do you have for the episode how would you sum up the episode I think like um, Emmanuel, who hosted after final rose, like he said, like eight million times, uh, uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable watching a lot of the episode, but I mean, it was a good uncomfortable. It was a necessary uncomfortable, but I think that that would be my one word. That's good. Exhausted. Oh, exhausted. Is that what you said? Yeah, I found it kind of exhausting. Um, partly because it was so dang long and we were all like, you know, hung over from uh, daylight savings time. And, and that should have worked in our advantage, but it just messes me up. So, yeah. So I just, I thought it was, yeah, it was kind of exhausting to watch in certain ways. Um, I would say, I don't know, those are two very good words on how to describe it. I would say like unpredictable too, just because like, it was so like, I don't know. And as you watch like the episode, you know, he kind of goes back and forth, but I think it's just cause like he's getting different like point of views from other people, which I know it could be kind of like 
when you have someone saying one thing, another person saying another thing, and you're kind of just like confused with your emotions, sometimes it can just be like, you don't know which way this is going to go or how this is going to turn out. So I would say like unpredictable, but also like what Emily said, like uncomfortable, because obviously like I felt kind of uncomfortable too, like watching, watching it. So yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Emily stole mine. Um, Uncomfortable was for sure how I felt, especially the very last we'll talk about it. The after the rose part where the two of them, Rachel and Matt were there um, that got uncomfortable. So all right. So we all felt awkward. Uh, let's start with the episode. Yeah. So um, that starts out with uh, Emily or sorry, Emily, <laughs> Rachel and Michelle both meet Matt's family. Um, I'm going to combine some stuff on the list here. Compare and contrast. What did we think about them meeting the family? Any thoughts or takeaways on either of them? Do you think one had a better relationship? We did a poll. And um, Twitter, uh, about 60 some people on Twitter felt that uh, Emily's or Michelle's mom, I don't know why I keep saying Emily, (laughs) Michelle's mom, Matt's mom preferred Michelle. I'm going to get this y'all. It's like we get three words, more than three names and I can't handle it. (laughs) I have, I don't know. Oh. I think that like it all went, I don't know. I think Michelle's conversation with Matt's mom and stuff like that, it was like good. But I think once Michelle, like not Michelle, Rachel had a conversation with Matt's mom. I think after that last one, I think Matt's mom kind of became concerned and had those questions because she knew that it was coming down to like, now he's got to make a decision. And I think it was starting to hit her that he's going to have to make a decision. So she kind of thought I need to like say something to him, but I don't know. I felt like each of the conversations, like I think she had really like good things to say about each of the girls and stuff. I didn't really like see a difference on how I felt like the connection was kind of the same for both of them, for both of the girls. That's how I interpreted it. It could be different for other people. I, I thought that there are ways that Michelle is so mature. And so Um, and that you can feel the difference in maturity between Michelle and Rachel. And so I wanted to click Michelle because I like Michelle better, right? Like with the poll, but I felt that when Rachel brought up religion with, um, her mom, with Matt's mom, I thought that that was a really important conversation and moment that they had and that they shared and so I, I thought that that was something really important that they connected with that at least I didn't see with Michelle. Right. That was something I noticed too, that like religion can be such a bonding experience for people when they share it and it can really guide like the ways that a family operates, whether positively or negatively. And so I think when Rachel brought that up and they could bond over that, I think that was really a turning point for them for sure. But I also really liked Michelle because I could see, you know, Michelle's a teacher. So she knows how like, you know, parent child interactions work and parent child interactions don't always change just because the child is an adult now. I mean, it's still a parent and a child. So I think that she did a good job of understanding and navigating that relationship. But I think they both, I enjoyed very much watching both of them because they were so different for sure. 
so then um, as we're moving forward in this, his mom, he, they leave, his mom has a conversation with them um, and both his mom and his brother encourage him not to um, feel pressured into proposing. Right. And so she says, um, love is not the end all and be all thoughts on that. Does love conquer all? Are there, I feel like she was basically saying like, love doesn't conquer all you fall out of love. They're also moving forward in the episode. And I feel like with this last episode, we do a lot of jumping back and forth, but um, he several times said, you know, my parents love for each other um, dissipated or it went away and I don't want that to happen. Um, so any thoughts on that? I kind of thought that seemed like an oversimplification that their parents love just went away because from what we know of it, there was infidelity and things like that. Emily's gone now too. <laughs> She's back. Back. What I miss. What are we talking about? Oh, so I thought that it was, so we're kind of talking about um, Matt's mom saying love is not the, the end all and be all. And I think that it's an important reminder that maybe those first initial feelings that you have when you're in love, they, they shift and they alter and how you experience and feel love does change over the course of a relationship. And I think that reminding him of that is helpful. But at the same time, I do think that life does get hard and it's that commitment to loving each other that sometimes can like push you through. And so um, you never know. There's like always some sort of like a risk too. Like, yeah, I think it's wise to tell him not to rush into an engagement. I like agree with that. But I also think if you've been together for three years and you get engaged, there's still an element of risk there. And there's no point that your relationship may not shift or change or get altered. So like this idea that like, I'm going to wait and I'm not going to be engaged or I'm not going to get married or anything like that until like, I know my future is for sure. It's never going to happen. So I don't know. Emily, Johnny. Oh, Emily's gone again. Johnny, what do you think? Um, I don't know. Honestly, like when she said that, like, it was kind of like a deep, I don't know, thing that she said. And it kind of like made me really think about it, honestly, just because like, granted, like, I'm still kind of, I don't know, like, I would say like, I'm still kind of young. So I'm still kind of learning on like, what love is for some people, because you know, people have different experiences. And like, Matt's mom, obviously, like had a different experience, and how other people like perceive love. And I think there's just, I think people have different ways on how they perceive love just based off like their own, ex own experiences and stuff like that. Like, I do think that love is like really important and it can, I don't know, hold relationships together. But like, I think something that I've learned like growing up though, that like you can like love someone obviously, but sometimes like you kind of, there'll be times where maybe you're not in love with someone. Like you'll always have that love for someone, but sometimes people do fall out of love with other people or in love just because maybe they're growing and they're changing and they're experiencing the things that they want to experience and stuff like that. And I don't know, I think like, that's kind of just like her message, like, cause Matt is still young and he's still kind of learning. So 
like I think that's just kind of like the message that maybe she was trying to portray to him that you know like things can change over time but I do agree though that you know maybe rushing into a proposal is probably not like the best thing because I think it I don't know I think just watching like the bachelor like sometimes I'm just like how do you know that this is the right person for you with only in that like small amount of time like I get like I'm just like wow like after only like a month or two like that's crazy that you're just like, oh, I'm ready to fall, like marry someone. And I guess like for me, I guess when you know, you know, I don't know. I don't know either. I have no idea how that works, but like. But it's not know. really, it's not really even a month because it'd be one thing if it's like, I meet somebody and over the month we spend hours together, but their time is so controlled. Yeah, definitely. I just, I don't know for me, I don't know. I guess, and people are different. For me, I would, it, I don't know, the amount of time that they have, I don't feel like it would be enough for me to like really know if I'm in, in love with someone. I could care deeply about someone, but I don't know if I'm in love within that short amount of time period. So interestingly, uh, then Chris comes in to this whole thing and Clearly, Matt has taken what his mom says to heart, if maybe not misconstruing it, because I don't know if what she said, he took it the way she meant it. Um, But then he realized what she said to Chris and Chris basically, I felt so this is my own feeling was telling him not to listen to his mom. He was like, you know, so your mom says you fall out of love. That's a dumb idea. We need you to get married. Like you need to propose. Um, Do you feel like what did you think about Chris's advice or Chris's conversation? Knowing also that Matt kind of wants a father figure in his life. Yeah, I think that Chris kind of took advantage of that a little bit. I mean, Matt obviously is someone that takes into account the opinions of people that mean a lot to him. But like at the end of the day, Chris Harrison is there to host a reality show. You know, he's there to get views he's there to get drama and the point of the bachelor that so i think he was doing that for a production value i don't think he really and truly was out here thinking yes this is what matt needs is to be engaged i think it was more of like this is what the franchise needs Mm -hmm. so yeah i felt like he was like oh oh shit Oh shit. We got another one that's like going totally off of the rule book. Yeah. I feel like it's, Oh, this is our first black bachelor. We need this to end with love. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we're going to push. And, and I felt like I even felt that in the, after the rose. Um, Yeah. A nice reminder of how scripted the show is. Right. Yeah, it felt very scripted and it felt like he was like shoving him into the script. Like, like I felt like it was almost like a kidnapping. Like he's a kid in the car. Shut up. We're going to Neil Lane and you're going to pick out a pear shaped diamond. Damn it. Uh, So then things get really awkward or for that point, but they get way more awkward the further we go along. Um, So this is just a taste of the awkward. Uh, He goes on his date with Michelle um she gives him her hoodie or a jersey but i thought it was like in junior high when you know like a guy would give a girl a hoodie and they would like uh date um and then what happened for you like you exchanged like hoodies in oh, junior high 
back me up, Johnny and Emily. That's like a thing when you're dating, like some, like some junior high boy gives you your hoodie and it's like, I'm wearing is anyone. No, <laughs> no, I didn't date. What? I don't that have any. So confusing. So. Johnny, help me. I mean, I didn't date anyone until like up until my senior year in high school, honestly. But did you wear their hoodie? <laughs> Yes, yes. Okay. Whoa. Thank God. <laughs> this is so weird to me. No. Moving on. <laughs> no, this was a thing in Newton in my hometown. It's like when you were in junior high, it's like, oh, she's wearing his hoodie. They're clearly dating. Yeah. Never in junior high. I don't think I was allowed to date in junior high. I wasn't. It was, it was the equivalent. Well, Newton doesn't have the SES to like give out promise rings. So we give out old ratty hoodies. Oh my God. <laughs> um, okay. So she gives him these gifts and then Matt basically says like, you know, this isn't happening. Um, what'd you think about that? Oh man. I could see it in his eye. Emily is once again, having a problem. Johnny, what did, <laughs> what, what'd you think about it, Johnny? Um, you can, like Emily kind of said, you kind of, you could see it on his facial expression. He was like, oh, I got to let her know, like, because she went all this way to make those jerseys for him and stuff. And I, it's better to let someone know sooner than later. But I just felt awkward when it happened, just because you could just see on his facial expression, like she was really happy to be giving it to him, but he didn't have that same like facial expression. And I just knew from there, this is, this is probably not going to end well, so shots go if it helps you can turn off your camera that might give you the bandwidth you need oh my gosh um oh go ahead sorry no i have nothing else to say except for he reads his emotions very clearly on his face and i could tell and i was very uncomfortable when it happened you know i was confused you know at that part i was like oh is he going to just let both of the women know that he has no intentions of proposing? And then I was like, Oh no, like he's breaking up with her. Yeah. And so I, you know, cause I did have this moment where I was like, Oh, maybe I have misread how this is going to end. And maybe he's just going to let them both know that he's not on team proposal. Um, and that something else is going to happen at the end instead. And so yeah, it, I can, it's not shocking to me that she felt blindsided though. She kept, I think that's the language she used. So she did ask him apparently to have another conversation and he said no. Um, and she said, I felt like I was owed that, um, you know, one more to get my closure. Any thoughts on that? They talked about it in the after the rose ceremony as well. I definitely think she deserved it like just because he kind of took her not I don't know she came like all this way you know to be like the last one of like the last two and then for him to just end it like that and then you know the, it just seemed like the conversation that they even had wasn't that long of a conversation too and you never know if it's editing with the show but I do too think that like it's a conversation that you should maybe even have like outside of the cameras and have more of like, I don't know, a personal conversation about it. I do think he did owe her that, but it's just kind of sad that he didn't do that for her. 
Yeah, I was wondering if she wanted the conversation and he said, I will have it off camera and the production wouldn't let him have it off camera. Yeah. So you never know, like, yeah, what, like you said, like sometimes the production does the whole controlling thing and you never know what they're allowed to do, what they're not allowed to do. So it just kind of makes it um, complicated sometimes. But I do, like I said, I do believe she was owed a conversation, maybe just like not even without the cameras, at least just like maybe a better conversation, a more productive conversation. For those of you not watching on YouTube, Danielle's hand motions and facial expressions are great. At one point she did this kind of like weighing thing. Well, so I think that what's hard for me is like when people say that they want closure, I'm also like when you go through a tough breakup or if you like think that you're going to be engaged to someone, I don't know what closure looks like, right? So I like have this question of like, what does closure look like for her? And then I also have this sense of, or was the reason that Matt declined it was because out of respect for Rachel, that, you know, like he is at that point in another relationship that now he's kind of committing to be exclusive with, does like, does that, you know, do you say no because you don't, want that to turn even if she says hey this isn't about me trying to like get you back or anything like that do you not want to open up that door do you want to be clear to the person that you're with that you're you know like that you don't have feelings for that person because so like I I don't know I think I just have to ask a whole lot more questions of both of them to figure out maybe where I would stand on this Shots go, thoughts? Is Emily even alive? I think we might've lost Emily for good. It's been great knowing her. Um, <laughs> I don't, she'll get back. Uh, so, uh, you know, what I kind of thought, one of the things that I thought was interesting um, is that I think the show, this is a good example of, I feel like Matt missed out on somebody who he had a lot of commonality with and a lot of interests and the show pushed him into a situation where he had to break up, um, you know, and, and I think going back to what Danielle said, which I thought was really, um, really thoughtful or really, you know, thought provoking is that um, you're never 100% sure when you date, when you decide to marry somebody Um and in most cases, you can't date two people. And so you don't have another alternative. However, with the show, you have this like second alternative that you can always kind of like go back to. Um, and so I felt like he was kind of like, you have to pick one or the other. And so he's like, well, I think I might like this girl more because I'm further along, but had him and Michelle had forever, you know, and they're at a normal dating pace maybe that would have worked out better. So I do have an extra credit if anyone would like to hear it. I'm calling this one. So you got dumped. Um, and it's all about breakups and what happens after a breakup. First thing I'm going to tell you, breakups happen a lot. So if you get dumped, you're not alone. It happens to everybody, almost everybody. Um, Emily's back. Emily is back. Hi, Emily. I'm on the phone now. All right. Uh, yeah. So most people get over breakups. 
Um, that's the first thing that we know from research. Um, it's harder, the longer the relationship is, it is harder, the more you had in common with the person, it is easier, the more experience you've had with breakups. So I remember the first time I got dumped in junior high, um, at a dance and I came home and bawled and bawled to my mom. The next time I got dumped, it was sad, but you know, you kind of get used to it. You realize what's like a real breakup and what's like, eh, maybe this was a good idea. Um, we, we also find is that people think they'll never get out of this bad feeling, but uh, research would suggest that, you know, over the course of the first month, people start to get pretty okay with the breakup. Um, their love for the former partner, partner drops about a half um, for um, when they broke up with them to go down. Um, sadness decreases about a third. Anger quickly decreases within the first few days. So you're going to feel angry, but then after that, it decreases and then levels off. And then relief goes down when you first get broken up with, but then it goes back up typically to where it was. So what we find is people are less mad, less sad, less angry, and more relieved. Um, it's harder to be the rejected than the rejector. So if you're feeling really sad because you got dumped um, and somebody says, this is just as hard for me as it is for you, they're lying. It is much harder to be dumped than to be the dumper. Um, so what can you do? Um, speaking to Michelle and Rachel, how can you heal from this? One is turn to friends. Um, give yourself time to grieve. Uh, so if you are a crier, give yourself 15 minutes to cry during the day, but then limit that time. Um, so don't, uh, spend all day crying, make yourself get up and do stuff, uh, balance the good and the bad about the relationship. So what was good? What was bad? How are you going to think about that? And then what we found is that rebounds are not the worst thing in the world, as long as they're not destructive. So it is okay to go out and date several people that you have no intention of marrying just for a fling. Um, what you shouldn't do, do not stalk them on social media. What we find is comparison is the thief of joy. So you see them with other potential mates and it's going to probably spiral you. Uh, participate in prolonged interaction with them. So back to Danielle's point about what does closure look like? Um, closure is not, you know, like texting them at three in the morning and having long conversations, probably going to get back together, probably going to break up. What we find is that reconciled relationships only reconcile when there's change. Um, and you kind of heard Matt saying that. Um, and then don't rebound in a destructive way. So, you know, don't get pregnant. Don't get someone pregnant. Um, don't immediately move in with a new partner. Um, we find that, that people do that. Danielle's facial, Danielle's making squishy facial right? Like, oh, that would, that makes me feel awkward. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So that's what I got for you. That was great. Thanks. Thanks. I feel educated. Yeah. Well, there's nothing I love more than a good breakup. Um, so <gasps> Michelle goes home, Rachel, uh, doesn't get a date. Um, and then Neil Lane comes in a very awkward, strange interaction. Um, I want your thoughts on this, but I, I've texted Danielle several times about this. Neil Lane says, I love a pear shape because my mother had one when I was a kid. I think he means diamond or he has severe mommy issues. <laughs> it's good. It's hilarious. The whole ring thing was, it was like, oh, well, this is what we have planned. So we're just going to forge forward, even though like Matt's clearly like not into it. But gotta give Neil Lane that that screen time. 
I felt like the bachelor, the bachelor franchise was just like, you know what? You no longer have control of your life. We are going <laughs> to freaking force you to do what we want. Yeah. I would have had a full blown anxiety attack if I was sitting there like, Oh, am I ready for this? Am I ready to make this commitment? And then all of a sudden they were like, here are some rings. And I, I would have just, I probably would have cried. I don't know how mad didn't do that, but that would be very, very, very overwhelming. It seemed very strange. You even saw like when he ended things with Michelle, like he was obviously like distraught and upset and he talked to Chris and he said, I don't know. I don't know what I'm feeling. And then for them to just go and like have him look at rings, I don't think they were putting into account. Like this is probably causing him so much more anxiety. Like can't just do that. Like I don't know. But also like, you know, on the show it says, I think when he looked at the rings though, he said, you know, someday I do want this. I do want to put a ring on someone's finger, but I just, he probably just knew deep down inside he's not ready to do that yet. So like, I don't think he's scared of the thought of marriage. It's just, he's not ready to do it yet. Which is totally fine. Like, that's the thing. That's my one thing about the show that bothers me is that there's this force, like you have to get married. You don't even have to get married. Like you can live together without being married. There's no, like, I think people forget that, you know. Um, Yeah. And like too. So I started watching the bachelor when Colton like came on. So that was when I actually started watching like the bachelor, the bachelorette. And I was always just confused on like, why can't they just like be girlfriend and boyfriend? Why does it have to be a marriage or a proposal? Like this is really fast. And I was still learning the ropes of like the bachelor, the bachelorette, how it goes. Cause I was starting to watch it with my friends and stuff, but I was just really surprised. I'm like, why do they have to push them so badly to get engaged at the end of it? So then kudos to Matt. He uh, sends what I think sounded like a ransom note again to Rachel and was like, meet me by the lake. I don't know where the lake was. Um, Yeah. And then he basically says, uh, you know, I'm not going to propose, but I still want to be with you. And then they live happily ever after. Sort of. Um, Thoughts before we move on to the final rose. I mean, like Johnny said, I think that's a completely realistic approach to take. I mean, you're in a bubble of The Bachelor and everything is so glamorous and you have like producers and you have assistants, you have staging and scripts. And so I think that like the thought of people getting engaged and then just moving on with their lives and not seeing how they work outside of the magic of it. I think that that is completely realistic. And if someone were to propose to me after probably hanging out with me for about five hours, I would be So I think that it's a good call and I think everybody should do it. I agree. And Rachel handled it well, you know, for, for like in general, not being as big of a Rachel fan, like she, she didn't seem disappointed that he wasn't proposing. She seemed to be happy that he still like was choosing her and wanted to have a relationship. I wonder sometimes if there's relief on like her part, like she felt like I have, I'm going to have to say yes. And I feel like whoever is not the primary, like the, the bachelors or the bachelorettes feel like they have to say yes, no matter what. So I wonder if she was kind of like, okay, we can kind of like take this at a slower pace. So um, we go to the after final after the final rows. Uh, Matt and Emmanuel um, sit down, um, and they have a really, uh, I thought, powerful conversation about 
the weight of the social justice movement um, mm-hmm. and within the Bachelor franchise and feeling like they have to represent um, the African-American, the Black culture to everyone in America, because this might be the only time they have experience with that. Thoughts, anything that came to mind when you watch that, anything, feelings that came up? I felt like I learned a lot. Yeah, one thing that really stuck out to me was just the burden that Matt was carrying. He talked about it, like the burden of all that representation, like the fact that he might be the only black person that these people see in their lives, like on TV. And I just think that that must just be exhausting. I mean, to think about not only how you're being portrayed over TV, but also how like your entire culture is. And so I just I can only imagine the exhaustion that he felt having that representation on his back, but I commend him for like his vulnerability and his transparency, but he looked exhausted and he looked in pain. And I felt, I felt for him for sure. I really appreciated the conversation because I think for me, it was the moment where he was like, I, you know, like this show is already kind of hard enough, right? Like you're supposed to, you know, you're supposed to fall in love in this weird situation. And that's a lot of pressure. And he's like, but I didn't get to just do that. Right. Like I also had to represent um, a a group of people. I had to represent um, and navigate a really controversial social issue. You know, like he had to navigate all those things. And I think that that's an important reminder that many people of color are kind of holding those multiple like roles and burdens in a lot of spaces right now. Like whether it's in the office and you're like, you know, like that these, that this isn't just the bachelor too, right? That like, this is like a burden that I think sometimes, you know, like that black people don't just get to do their job, that they, have to do their job and always be representing how black people do work or, you know, like things like that. And I think um, that was an important reminder. Johnny, anything to add? Yeah, I mean, everything that like, you know, Emily and um, Danielle had mentioned, it almost just seemed like though too, like, and I know that they had like, you know, those uncomfortable conversations on stage on the after show and stuff, but it almost just felt like, you know, you could, like, I could notice that he was trying to take deep breaths and trying to like relax. And I bet just like after the show, he was finally able to like, just maybe take a breath, but that is a lot of pressure. But I also too believe that he's dealt with it all of his life, but it's just, you're on like a stage like that, where he's the first black bachelor where I feel like that causes even more like pressure. I mean, he's dealt with the pressure all of his life, obviously being a black man in America, but I think even more just being on that front stage, like front and center and having to be, make sure that he was perfect and on right. Cause he knows the scrutiny that he can get um, from people. So I thought he handled it very well. Mm-hmm. So then Rachel comes out um and they talk about uh you know what what she's done in the past and so we talked about that in previous episodes but she uh had pictures of her at an antebellum themed sorority party she's also liked um some tweets 
that were racist. She also has some friends that are outwardly racist on social media. Um, and uh, Emmanuel talked about how he categorized her as culturally ignorant or what she did. Um, any thoughts about that? I think, Danielle, you have an extra credit about this um, and kind of the different way this is viewed. Um, take it away or anyone can comment. Well, I'll let you all maybe jump in with your reactions and then maybe I'll go into my extra credit. Yeah. Emily, Johnny, thoughts on that? I thought it was important that he brought up like specifically things because a lot of people might not see how these things that might not seem like such a big deal, such a big deal. Obviously they're a big deal, but a lot of people don't always understand the weight and the pain that they carry. Um, especially things like antebellum parties. I've heard people being like, well, it was just a party. Like, why is it such a big deal? And so I think it's, it was educational that he took the time to explain why it was insensitive and why it was wrong. Cause it, I think it helped, it definitely helped. Like even me, I didn't know, I don't know root words all that well. And so I thought that that was really important, but, um, I thought it was important that he brought up how much it can traumatize people to see really dark parts of history that are glamorized like that so mm -hmm. yeah definitely and I don't know like like even like I found myself like kind of speechless or not even know what to think or say like when you know the topic did come up um because you know and Rachel made the comment um I believe that you know that so you know some people use the excuse well where I'm from like that's no one ever thinks like that's just how that's just how it is where I'm from or this is just what people do or people say or stuff like that but I think I think a lot of people really got to see how much it really impacts like things like that because how it impacts people of color and just how just rude and offensive it is because you could just see with Matt's reaction, he didn't say much. He just had his head down and he was just trying to take his breaths and stuff like that. Not, and he, you know, he's had that conversation with, with Rachel and stuff like that, how it is very problematic and stuff. And it doesn't matter if it was back in 2018, it's still very problematic. And I don't know, I think you just really saw the maybe disappointment or he just didn't really know what to say because he was just so, I don't know, let down or just disappointed and hurt by all of it. And I think he even said something that like, you know, the hurt of what's been done, the hurt will never go away. And like things like that, just because you did it years ago, it does not mean that it still does not hurt other people. So I think that was like a really powerful statement. Like, yes, people are like, well, it was so long ago, you should let it go. It's like, no, it's still very hurtful no matter what. Absolutely. So I'll, I'll jump. Thank you all both for that. Um, I'll, I'll jump into my extra credit. So I have been following um, Emmanuel Acho for a while now. I first came across him actually on Instagram. Um, I was really impressed with actually one of his definitions of ant, um, of privilege. Um, a lot of times people define privilege as unearned benefits and he kind of flips that on his head and he says it's actually the absence of certain challenges. And I, I really appreciate that approach to privilege because I think particularly um, 
for white people to, especially poor white people, if you tell them, oh, you have unearned benefits and they're like, well, I work my butt off and I have not much to show for it. So don't tell me I haven't earned something, right? We're like saying, hey, well, you don't have these these challenges that you have to face is a little bit easier, I think, in a better, maybe a better way of explaining how privilege functions. But so I've, I've been following him for some time. Um, I was really sort of struck by um, in this part of the show where he worked through, he said, hey, she is, she, you know, the antebellum themed parties are racially insensitive. And then we have something called prejudice. And then we have racists. And Rachel is not a racist. She was engaging in racially insensitive acts. And so I want to kind of talk about there's some really different ways that people are talking about racism in the US right now. And they're not all equal. <laughs> and so I think that like kind of breaking down some of these differences becomes really important. So what Emmanuel Acho is doing there is um, a lot of the ways that I was actually brought up thinking about racism. So thinking about um, violence is something that happens on a continuum. So um, racist language, for example, um, using the N-word isn't the same thing as a hate crime. Um, using the N-word isn't the same thing as engaging in a microaggression, right? That there's like this continuum, all of these things are violent, but some of them are more violent than others. And I appreciate this approach because in, um, so saying racially insensitive and prejudiced and biased and discrimination and racism and having these distinct words with distinct definitions help us sort of recognize that all of these acts or language usage or whatever aren't exactly, they're not all the same. <laughs> and we need to sort of recognize how their impacts might be different. I also like, in some ways, he was separating Rachel as a person, her identity, from her actions. Um, and I think that that is helpful and that it creates space to sometimes see that difference. Here's where there might be some like limitations to this thought and how it's rubbing up against maybe other ways or intention with other ways that people are talking about racism right now. This sort of approach also paints a picture of a racist as just someone who engages that's pretty evil, right? So if you are a racist, you're a pretty evil person who's intentionally doing things. Um, I kind of like this, liken, sorry, like not like this, liken this, compare this to um, rhetoric around um, rapists, right? That there's all these rape myths, right, around sexual assault that paint rape as this thing that happens in a I should, I should have offered a trigger warning. Um, but you know, like um, that like happens in a dark alley, it's a stranger and it's this like evil person that's like, I'm going to go out and rape someone tonight, right? It reaffirms this idea. And then so when someone that you think is a good person um, engages in rape, like, you know, rapes someone, you're like, well, that doesn't make sense. This is a good person, right? Um, 
and, and they were on a date with this person. So how could it be that? Right. I think that this definition of racist as this like evil KKK person, right. That's like intentionally going out and committing racist acts is also kind of problematic. Um, and so that's why if you call someone a racist, they get so defensive because it's like this, it's an ins is a real insult and it assumes that identity is stable. Right. So he's, you know, like that once you're a racist, that's who you are. Right. Um, so what you see happening right now, and I'll try to be quick with this, but if you follow like any um, of Ibram Kendi's work on how to be an anti-racist, it's very different. It's either you engage in anti-racist behaviors that push up against racist culture or you are upholding racist culture. So in almost everything that you do all day long, you are either upholding cultural and um, systemic structures or you are pushing against them. Now I have an issue with this because it's like a very either or sort of a thing and I tend to be a both and kind of girl. But what that means is that in any situation, in one moment, you could be engaging in racist, you know, something that's upholding racist structures and then the next minute not. Um, so that you're kind of are both and all at once. And what it calls attention to is this idea that most racism and racist behaviors are unconscious. That it's things that are so embedded in our culture that like it's not this intentional act, <laughs> most of it. And so it calls upon us to be really vigilant because so much of it's invisible that we have to do the work of first making it visible and then tending to it. And this is a very different way. This sees identity as constantly in flux. It sees, it means that like um, in his own writing, he's a black man who talks about ways that he's been racist. So it, it, it sort of says like, we're kind of being racist all the time because we live in a racist culture. <laughs> and that's a very different approach than what was happening with Emmanuel Alcho. And so I guess like my advice to you all is as you're like kind of moving through these things to ask yourself, like, what are the distinct different ways that we're defining racism and racist um, what are the strengths and maybe the weaknesses of each or limitations of each of those approaches? Um, what does that afford us? Like, what does it allow us to intervene? Um, um, how does it call forth different actions? But also think about like, how does it, like, what are the underlying assumptions about how power works? Who gets power? How do you, you know, like once you have power, do you just have it? How do you lose it, you know? Um, how does it, is it something that's stable? Same with identity, is culture stable? Is identity stable? Um, all of those things, there's these underlying assumptions with, and there's actually some really diverse ways that we're talking about race right now in the US and not all of those ways meld together. <laughs> there's some tensions there. So I just wanted to point that out because it was something that I was really aware of in that moment. And that's my extra credit. Good. Thank you. Sorry, I talked a long time. No, that's okay. So we have short time. 
Um, but the, uh, <clears throat> the, the season kind of wraps up um, with a very awkward situation where Emmanuel tells them this could be the last time they ever embrace. Um, and then Matt is very quiet and they don't. Any last thoughts about this? Um, anything you want to do to put a very strange bow on it? I, one thing I wish, so when Rachel was talking about her unlearning and relearning process, um, she said, I could list all of the things that I've done, all of the podcasts I've listened to, the documentaries I've watched, the books I've read, and then she didn't list any of those. And I thought that this would have been a wonderful time to kind of, you know, pass the mic and amplify voices, podcasts, documentaries, books, activists, organizations that are doing the work and helping people. It would have been a great time to include information on like diversity and equity to like help people that are watching and then maybe this is their first journey into unlearning and relearning. I think that could have been um, really helpful. I wish they would have done that a little bit more. Agreed. Johnny? Yeah, I mean, when she mentioned all those, like you can, and, and it's good that, you know, that she, you know, she said that she has been trying to learn by watching those documentaries, reading books and stuff like that, but it truly comes down to like your actions on what you want what you plan to do with it. You can talk all this talk that, you know, I'm trying to do this, I'm trying to do that, but like, what are you doing physically um, to try to change um, and be better? And I don't think, you know, Matt was, like you said, he was really quiet, but like, and I know that Rachel was crying, but at the same time, like, he's not responsible for her tears. That's, she did that. Those were, it's her actions that caused like just because you're crying, but like, just imagine how hurt Matt feels because, and like Matt said that she, he just doesn't think she understands what it means to be black or be a black man in America. And that's really important, especially if you are dating someone who is black and of color and, and stuff like that. So I know he's gotten a lot of pushback that he didn't stick with her, even though she's doing this work. And I think that what Johnny is saying is really important that we also didn't get to see the conversations they had, but he alluded to them. Um, and he basically said, you don't understand why what you did was offensive. And she apologized several times in a roundabout way. And I think people should remember that, that, you know, you just see the tip of the iceberg. Uh, I'm sure they had a lot of really tough conversations. So. Yeah, definitely. And that was something too, that like me and my friends kind of talked about, cause we said, we don't even know how that conversation went. Cause you never know if it went good or if it went bad, but it almost just seemed like there may have been a conversation where maybe it was like a tough one, <laughs> maybe possibly not sure, but yeah. it almost just kind of seems like I, she's got a lot of work to do. And I think you could kind of see that expression on his face. Yeah. And I'm proud of him for, you know, definitely like standing up for himself and stuff like that. So season and statement as we wrap it up, I'm going to say with kudos to Matt for sticking to his guns. I was very impressed that he did not get pushed into this. Like you have to get engaged. And he, he did a good job. I feel like of being true to himself. And sometimes that wasn't pretty. Like, I feel like sometimes he came off as a very like unsure, you know, but that's who he is. Mm, 
what's my season? My season of statement is that there is always more to learn about everything, especially in like conversations surrounding race. We might think that we are educated, but there's always, you know, another perspective we can listen to another um, activist, another organization, things like that. I certainly learned a lot from this season. So I feel like too, like this season, you know, like the bachelor and the bachelorette, sometimes like a lot of these things don't seem real, but I definitely think this was a season where reality set in for a lot of people. Like, I I definitely think this was, you get to see a lot of the real world problems and things like that, that we still face. I, so I feel like this season was the most real that I've watched. Johnny, I'm so glad that you said that because my statement was going to be like, sometimes reality TV is an escape and sometimes it's just more reality. And because I do think that part of people's frustration is that they kind of go to these types of shows to escape. And I think people were frustrated. And part of the reason it was exhausting is because the world is exhausting right now. And you are seeing that reflected in the show. And you know, at the same time, like, I, you know, I'm still struggling through, you know, a lot of people are boycotting the show right now um, because of how the franchise has handled race. And, and I think boycotts can be a really powerful way to make statements. And I think you should always kind of put your money where your values are. So like, I, I, I support that, but I also think that it's, it has been an incredible opportunity to see these sorts of things um, navigated and are really messy. Like, I think like sometimes that's the frustration too, is that like they didn't, people don't navigate them perfectly, but I think like that's also where some of the learning comes from Mm -hmm. is like how freaking messy and complicated and hard and heartbreaking working through these things can be. Yeah. There's not always a nice bow on it. It like life is like that. Uh, so Danielle quickly before you go, cause I know you got a meeting Katie and Michelle, they're the new bachelorettes. Are you re-upping? Are we going to do this again? Oh yeah. You in? All right. We all, yeah. Yeah. I got nothing better to do. I work at a university. <laughs> Don't hopefully no one heard that. Uh, so, um, Johnny shots go, you guys get the last word. Who do you want to shout out to? So when you tell your friends to listen to this, this is the payoff for them. <laughs> Um, I want to give a shout out to um, my little brother and all of the grocery store workers out there who have been butts off this past year um, to keep us all safe and healthy and fed. So shout out to Sam, even though he never responds to my text messages. It's fine. Come on, Sam. No. Thanks, Sam. Is he going to be a UNI student? No. Sam, the University of Northern Iowa has many wonderful opportunities. (laughs) Go ahead, Johnny. Um, I don't know. I guess I, I would say like everything that like she said, like those frontline workers, essential workers and stuff like that, who are, you know, helping us through this whole pandemic, you know, the world is crazy. We're in a year now of like being, living this lifestyle and stuff. It almost just feels normal now. Like I get anxiety, like not even wearing a mask anywhere, but like, I don't know. That's just who I want to get my shout out to. And of course my parents and stuff like that, if they hear it. I was telling them about it last night. I was so excited. I was like, I'm going to be on a podcast. So shout yeah, out to John and Kathy Hill. What were you saying, Emily? I said, hi, mom. Hi, dad. Hey, what's yeah, up? Our, 
parents are our largest listening uh listening demographic <laughs> so that's it thank you everyone for sticking with us for a whole season thank you danielle for being a great co-host and thank you to my students we get to do what we love because you all come to our university so thank you johnny and emily we appreciate you happy saint patrick's day (laughs) wear that green You've been listening to Batchadamia with your hosts, Drs. Daniel Dick McGue and Bill Henniger. All opinions expressed on this show are solely the opinion of the person who spoke them. If you like our podcast, please consider following us, leaving us a five-star rating, and a positive review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, please share with your friends, family, and other ardent Bachelor content lovers. If you have comments or questions you would like us to address on the show, you can email us at batchadamia at gmail.com or on the Twitter with the handle at Thanks for listening.